Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. What's better than this? Guys being dudes here on Draft Dudes. It's Joe Marino and Kyle Krabs from the Draft Network, and we are your hosts here on this edition of the show. Kyle, what's going on, dude? Happy uh, free agency negotiation madness to you. Uh, The league hit the ground running on Monday, and it's been really fun to kind of see the chaos unfold in front of our eyes for the last day or so, and um, knowing full well that we've now had our first player agreeing to a deal with a team and then saying, you know what, never mind, I actually think I'm going to go play somewhere else with that happening with the Dallas Cowboys and Randy Gregory. It's just the latest reminder that the NFL is king, right, in that it's their offseason and they are dominating the headlines like nobody else. Yeah, the NFL doesn't care that the college basketball tournament is happening or that the MLB lockout is over. The NFL is king. They're stealing every headline. And it has been a fascinating start to the legal tampering period. And it's only going to get crazier in the days ahead because the past week has been nuts even before the legal tampering period opened. We saw some crazy trades go down. We saw a specific division, the AFC West, get really wild. And teams are, are gearing up to compete. And uh, it's been a lot of fun here sorting through all these initial transactions. Yeah, the the AFC West between the Khalil Mack trade and some of the free agent landings that you've already seen kind of materialize, and obviously Russell Wilson. Like, I admire the competitors that want to go play in that environment. But, like, the fourth best team in the AFC West is probably at minimum the third worst team in any other division of football, right? Like, if you just stack the teams up, there's going to be a playoff caliber team in the AFC West that's going to be on the outside looking in when it's all said and done. Right, and the team that maybe you wonder if they're still in it is the Raiders. The Raiders were in the playoffs last year. And so a fascinating situation is unfolding here in the AFC West, and uh, there's a lot to talk about here coming up. Kyle, the... Kansas City Chiefs have won the AFC West in each of the last six seasons. And I think the rest of the division has had it. Denver Broncos making big moves. But I'd argue, right, what Russell Wilson's big, we'll get to that. But how about the Los Angeles Chargers, who have the benefit of Justin Herbert on a rookie deal? And they have made a lot of noise here to start I guess the new league year with trading for Khalil Mack, signing J.C. Jackson at cornerback, adding Sebastian Joseph Day and Austin Johnson to this defensive tackle room. And it really feels like they are a team that is really primed to make noise here. They didn't make the playoffs last year, but with Justin Herbert entering year three, Brandon Staley year two, reinforcements on defense, you have to like the makeup of this Chargers team as it stands today. And, oh, by the way, we were largely expecting Mike Williams to be facing an opportunity to go somewhere else, 
and they paid him twenty million per to come back. So you you think about the the natural blueprint that so many of us in this space refer to when talking about team building and having a quarterback on a rookie contract and the value that that brings. Well, we've seen through Justin Herbert's first two seasons, he brings a certain caliber of play to the quarterback position that why would you not put all your chips in and say, guys, we got two or three years to go get this. And if we don't get it, then that we're going to have to dramatically change the shape and build of the roster with their salary cap. But right now, we don't got to worry about that. We got a three-year window where we can treat every other position on the field like monopoly money. And, you know, if we want to get the Justin Herbert contract hammered out when he's eligible to get a contract extension done, then we can do so and we can defer a lot of those heavy hitting cap years to when we inevitably are going to have to shed this down. So you're seeing the Chargers, like, we legitimately feel like we're entering into a three, four-year window so yeah, go sign J.C. Jackson. Go trade for Khalil Mack. What player are you going to draft in the second round of this year's draft that's going to be more impactful for you than Khalil Mack? Right. Nobody. I remember and, watching. Oh, by the way, they played, they played the Chiefs tough as hell last year. Yep, they sure did. I remember watching this Chargers team last year, and for as much as I loved Justin Herbert, I had a hard time fully buying in because I just didn't like that defense. You know, they struggled stopping the run. They were terrible against the run. And they just didn't have enough complimentary pass rush next to and across from Joey Bosa. Now, I don't know how you could answer that in a bigger way than acquiring Khalil Mack. And so what I get excited about when I consider this Chargers team next year is having Mack and Bosa rushing opposite of each other with reinforcements now on this interior defensive line and a big recipe for taking down the Chiefs and and the Cincinnati Bengals were able to really do this in the second half of the AFC Championship game was being able to rush three and drop eight and still be able to do enough with with that rush to affect the quarterback, but you're really flooding these coverage lanes and these coverage windows with eight defenders. And now you have a good man corner in J.C. Jackson. You've got a versatile guy at Derwin James. Speed on the second level at linebacker. You've really built a defense that's not only talented, but also engineered to be able to match up with your nemesis, the Kansas City Chiefs. So let's let's talk about the Chiefs because they, they made a splash early in the week. It was, I believe it was late on Monday, reported they were signing Justin Reed, the safety from the Houston Texans. But if you look at what Kansas City has done otherwise, the vast majority of it has been trying to sustain their own players as best as they can, putting the franchise tag on Orlando Brown, managing to rework the contract of Frank Clark, you know, to to rework that salary cap situation where, I mean, he was potentially on the chopping block for them. But they've lost some secondary players that we know are not coming back. So when you look at the Chiefs and and – how far ahead of the rest of the division that they were, where does what they've been able to do put your comfort level as far as their ability to maintain that gap? Because, I, I mean, I this team is either going to complete, this division is either going to completely cannibalize each other and the winner's <laughs> going to have 11 games or like somebody will end up running away with it and you might see the rest of the group huddled behind. But 
I don't think Kansas City is going to moonwalk out of this division like they have in a couple of more recent years. No, for sure not. But if I'm a Chiefs fan, I'm clinging to two things. First of all, Patrick Mahomes, right? For as much as I love Russell Wilson and I love Justin Herbert, he's the best quarterback in the division. And he's certainly, I would say, the most – well, Russell Wilson may have a case, but in terms of recent accomplishments, you know, nobody can really compete with what Patrick Mahomes has been able to get done. The second thing that you have to love if you're a Chiefs fan is that you do have that coaching staff that's been together. Andy Reid is a battle-tested head coach that has won a Super Bowl. His assistants have been in place. And so you have this large volume of inventory of situations that you've been through as a football team that you can go to your own experiences that you have together to build off of and know how to respond in the future. Let's say you're facing the Raiders or the Chargers or the Broncos, and they're playing defense a certain way. Well, chances are you've seen it. And you could go back into your inventory and say, yeah, this worked against this in the past. Let's put that that together and adjust on the fly. And so from a quarterback perspective, from an accomplishment as a team perspective, and just the the volume of time that they've had together uh, as your, as a core nucleus of players with this coaching staff, if I'm Kansas City, that's what I'm clinging to as hopes that I can win a seventh consecutive AFC West. And obviously, what would that be? A, a, a fourth host, a fourth straight AFC championship game? I mean, the success there has been unbelievable. I have a feeling Russell Wilson's going to have something to say about this too before it's all said and done. And what's interesting is you looked at Denver last year and the depth that they had in the offensive backfield, the depth that they had at wide receiver with Cortland Sutton coming back and being healthy and them giving the extension to Tim Patrick and obviously having Jared Judy and Noah Fant and Albert Okawegbunam an offensive line that had some really strong pieces to it. And then, of course, that Vic Fangio-led defense that was really, really ferocious. There's a lot to like about this Broncos team. Now, they are undergoing a pretty fair remodel, as you would expect when you have to give up the assets that were required to bring Russell Wilson into the fray. But I think you're going to see a Broncos team that's a much more balanced team. And they, they have an established winner and a Super Bowl winning quarterback in Russ Wilson that's now coming in. Javante Williams is still featured piece in the backfield there. You had to trade Noah Fan as a part of the deal to get Russell Wilson, but you still currently are scheduled to have Cortland Sutton, Tim Patrick, and Jerry Judy back. Mm-hmm. Like, and, and oh, by the way, now you have an offensive-minded coach to address that big elephant in the room, which was how bad your offense has been under Vic Fangio. So Nathaniel Hackett, quarterbacking the coaching staff like you mentioned that that Kansas City has the advantage of an experienced coaching staff but you have to think Russ Wilson with Nathaniel Hackett with the skill players that when's the last time Russell Wilson had skill player group that was this good and I know Seattle had Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf but you know the offensive line I think Denver's offensive line is better than anything Russ has had since the Super Bowl years And honestly, that's where I get excited. Obviously, Denver has weapons in the passing game, but to me, it's this offensive line and their ability to run the football and Javante Williams in year two, who I think is going to be an absolute star in this league. And when you're playing in Denver and you're hosting games and teams are coming to your place and playing in those altitudes, when you can run the football physically with that offensive line and that running back, you're going to have a big-time advantage in the fourth quarter of football games to really close things out, and it's going to be such an advantage to you. And, oh, by the way, you can 
you can also go toe-to-toe and score in the passing game. And obviously, defensively, this team is going to be in good shape. They've already brought in Randy Gregory to help the pass rush. They've got DJ Jones to come in and stabilize the middle of that defense as new additions. And this this unit was outstanding last year. Oh, stud football player. And they have great secondary. They have young talent everywhere. It's like, okay, you traded away Shelby Harris as a part of the Rust deal and you signed DJ Jones. Like, you're, you're net positive. You are net positive at worst. And oh, by the way, the Raiders were the playoff team from this division last year. So a crazy situation is shaping up here in the AFC West. But Joe, it's free agency is not just reserved for the AFC West, right? There are other teams that are absolutely positively crashing the party and in some cases ruining the market for future generations of receivers and offensive linemen across the NFL because the Jacksonville Jaguars have come out and they have dropped a back they have dropped nine figures in the first 24 hours less than the first 24 hours of the negotiation window for this year's free agency over 100 million dollars in commitments given out and it's guys like Foiseto Lacoon, 15 million dollars per season Folaronzu Fatukasi defensive lineman for the New York Jets good player getting an average of 10 million per with 20 million guaranteed Christian Kirk 18 with incentives up to 21 per season the guy's never had a thousand yard season in the NFL before Brandon Scherf 16 and a half I can get behind that one. The guy's played on the franchise <laughs> right. tag for the last two years. Like, good for you. You got the bag. Like, if anybody deserved it, it was Brandon Scherf. But, oh, by the way, we hit Cam Robinson with the franchise tag for the second consecutive year, too. So, Jacksonville has just gone absolutely nuts in spending. And we think about this team that got Trevor Lawrence last year. They find themselves back in a position to have the number one overall pick again this year as things currently stand. We'll see what they end up doing with that pick. It seems like the the betting odds are leaning into a, a defensive and a pass rusher. I know we would still not be surprised if they chose to go with another offensive lineman because Cam Robinson is a one-year deal. Brandon Scherf does play on the interior. Uh, Jawan Taylor at the other offensive tackle spot for them has not developed the way that they thought that and hoped that he would. So, um, Ike McQuanu and Evan Neal certainly still in play, but the betting odds certainly seem to be favoring just based on how Jacksonville has told us they're spending their money, uh, that there's going to be uh, a defensive end coming off the board first. But you look at this team, number one overall pick two straight years, new head coach, trying to build around Trevor Lawrence. Like what, what pops to you as a good move and what pops to you as like the, you guys need to slow your roll type vibe because mm. they, they've given both vibes here early on well first of all this definitely smells like this regime would like to get rid of the stuff that they didn't bring in right they I mean Trent Balky traded away CJ Henderson who was like a top 10 pick at corner like a year after they picked him that high they cut Miles Jack this is a situation where we have a new regime that wants things their way, their players, their roster, their fingerprints. So this is something that typically happens whenever we see regime changes, and that's happening in Jacksonville. 
Now, to me, you kind of referenced something good, something bad here from the Jaguars. And I want to start with something bad, and that is the signing of Christian Kirk. I mean, this guy is now, on an average annual salary basis, one of the highest paid wide receivers in the league. That's crazy. And we're talking about Christian Kirk. Say it again for me. That's crazy. (laughs) Christian Kirk, you mentioned it, never a 1,000-yard season, four 100-yard games in his career. And we're talking about a guy that's played for the Arizona Cardinals, a pass-aggressive offense. And since they brought in Christian Kirk, Arizona's been very deliberate about continuing to add to that wide receiver core, whether it's been trading for DeAndre Hopkins, signing A.J. Brown, or A.J. Green, excuse me, drafting Rondell Moore reasonably high, drafting Andy Isabella. So they had this guy on the roster, and they kept going to the well because obviously they weren't satisfied with everything. If they thought Christian Kirk was one of the best five receivers in the NFL like he's being paid to be, they probably aren't making all of those moves at wide receiver. And now this guy's got to go to Jacksonville with the weight of this contract to come in and deliver and be the go-to guy for Trevor Lawrence. That's a lot to ask out of this guy. Hold on. Hold on. Because this is free agency. And you know when you're in free agency, and I think that this this is a conversation that I think probably needs to happen with the Christian Kirk contract. When you're in free agency and you spend in the first wave, the first week or so of the season, you know you're going to overpay, right? Would, Would you agree that that is a fair statement to make? Yes, but don't be a sucker. Okay. But if you were a team like Jacksonville, and I'm not justifying the annual per on this contract because it, it, it is insane. But if you commit yourself to improving the wide receiver room, I want you to look at the wide receivers that were available to me. And I want you to tell me what else was out there that you thought could be a wide receiver one or a wide receiver two that didn't have an injury history last year or wasn't getting close to the north side of 30 in which you felt like they were going to be slowing down. I recognize the pickings were slim, but that right. doesn't And that's mean, why it happened. Right. Again, I'm not that justifying doesn't make it okay. <laughs> You're not wrong. But I am saying that ultimately, at the end of the day, there was such a scarcity with free agent wide receivers that you felt like could contribute and be plus starters that that were not going to have like obviously Allen Robinson was available right you had DJ Chark who was available but you know DJ Chark just left Jacksonville if they liked DJ Chark they would have brought DJ Chark back so when you have this amount of thirst for this position group and all these guys kind of have their own respective lingering questions Sure, I guess you could point to Christian Kirk and say, well, he had 77 catches for 982 yards and five touchdowns last year. His style of play we think is going to mesh with Trevor. Let's pay him. Now, this is probably a contract we're going to get down the road and we're, we're going to regret having paid out because I don't think there's any way he lives up to those expectations. Chris, hello. Hello. I have some some contextual information that might help you already regret the contract. This comes courtesy of Warren Sharp on Twitter who tweeted oh, no. earlier, I believe it was on Monday, every free agent wide receiver to make at least $15 million per year in NFL history. 
Christian Kirk at $21 million a year. That's what it can be up to if everything works out for Christian Kirk. Kenny Galladay at $18 million a year in 2021. Mm. And Sammy Watkins at $16 million a year in 2018. That's it. That's the list. Yeah. And, you know, even if you put this at, at the the floor of $18 million per, this is still, this is a contract that is going to help. You saw it with Tyree Kill. Tyree Kill couldn't help himself but tweeting the eyeball emoji on Monday when this <laughs> deal was announced. He's like, great, here, back up the Briggs truck, Kansas City. Like, let's make a deal. This is going to dramatically help, and I understand the cap is raising, but Jacksonville has just directly created a lot of headaches for a lot of other teams with much more talented receivers than Christian Kirk. That wasn't the only receiver that they signed to a questionable contract. Zay Jones, former Raider, three years, $24 million, average annual value of $8 million per season, can be worth up to $30 million. Do the Jaguars just have no feel for what correct payment and valuation is of these receivers? Or is this guy what you talked about in that the market dried up pretty quick and they wanted to get some veteran players around their young quarterback and were willing to do whatever it took to get him in the building? Well, I mean, if you look at having Mike Williams sign the $20 million per extension just before the start of the negotiation window, and then having Devontae Adams and Chris Godwin hit with a franchise tag. Uh, what you ended up getting, I think, is you, know, you, you see Cedric Wilson got seven, seven and change from the Dolphins. Uh, Michael Gallup got 11 and a half. That Gallup deal looks great. Dallas yeah. stole him. <laughs> they got a great right. So you swapped out Amari Cooper for Michael Gallup. Okay. But Gallup's a really, really good wide receiver in the NFL. And that $11 million per is a bargain relative to some of the players that are sniffing eight, seven, what Christian Kirk got. I would rather have Michael Gallup on that value versus all of those guys. And I know he's coming off an injury last year. But, yeah, it, it, the dynamics of this wide receiver market certainly put teams in, in positions like the Jets with Braxton Berrios got six. There was conversation yeah. Braxton Berrios might get more than six. Right. And ultimately landed on coming back to the Jets and signing for $6 million per with $7 million guaranteed total. You know, Chris brought up the, the metric about the receivers making more than $15 million per season. Well, the Jaguars did another silly thing with their free agent acquisitions. And I like this linebacker. I like Foyer Olakun oh, no from the Atlanta Falcons. I, I like the glow up there. They signed him to three years, $45 million, an average annual value of $15 million per season, which falls in line with another, another really interesting uh, statistic here where the last five linebackers to sign for over $10 million a year for a new team in free agency, here's the list. Corey Littleton. Blake Martinez, Jamie Collins, Quan Alexander, and C.J. Mosley. Five contracts that those teams all regret. I mean, there's a whole conversation to be had about positional value and the linebacker position, but uh, you, you paint quite the picture, sir. 
in I mean, positional value in general. We're, they're they're giving big money to a guard, a linebacker, a tight end, and Evan Ingram, right? One year, nine million, and they overpaid yep. a couple of wide receiver threes. This is what you need now to the, do when you have the number one overall pick two straight years, though. So they're doing what they got to do, but the long term ramifications of this are going to be dicey. The good news for for the Jacksonville Jaguars, Doug Peterson, your head coach. Kyle, there's been a lot of activity across the NFL. Free agency is going nuts. There's been trades. And all of this has implications on the 2022 NFL draft. And we see this every every year where those mock drafts that you did pre-free agency, you know, crinkle Fair them up, toss them, toss them in the trash. They are no good. And so I'd love to take some time here and reflect on what's happened so far and its implications on the NFL draft. And I think it starts at number one, where for a lot of the discussion leading up to now, it's been about one of the offensive tackles for the Jaguars, whether that's Evan Neal out of Alabama, uh, Ikem Ikwanu from NC State. But the Jaguars, for a second consecutive year, put the franchise tag on left tackle Cam Robinson, and they've also signed Brandon Scherf in free agency. I don't think either move makes it a slam dunk that they don't go offensive tackle, but it certainly leads me to believe that one of the pass rushers, specifically Aiden Hutchinson, could be in play for Jacksonville at number one. Yeah. Um, And you think about what Jacksonville has, right? And they they have Josh Allen there as a pass rusher who's a a very scheme-flexible player who can play in any number of different fronts and alignments. And they have DeWan Smoot, who – is pretty effective as a rotational pass rusher, but you'd like to have another franchise changer and culture setter as far as your defensive side of the ball. Miles Jack's been a uh, longtime leader of that group, and they've moved on from Miles Jack. They cut Miles Jack on the news that they were signing Olakun to approximately the same deal. So I can I can make the case either way. But for my money, Joe, the ultimate mystery is what's happening at number two. Because we just saw Detroit came out on Tuesday and they got themselves a wide receiver. They signed DJ Chark. And you think about what they have in Amon Ross St. Brown, what they have in TJ Hawkinson, what they have with skill players in the background. They are one of the teams in the NFL with the most dollars committed this upcoming season to the offensive line. Or at least they were before free agency started. We'll see what free agency ultimately has to say about that for cash spent this year. But they're a team that needs a little bit of everything, and it's not a good quarterback class. But adding more weapons kind of makes the quarterback discussion at two at least a little bit more interesting as compared to you guys aren't ready, just take a good player. Well, if you keep building out your offensive skill group, you might be able to make the case that the Lions are ready. And I think Chark's a step in the right direction for that as a a one-year $10 million deal. No question to me. I mean, DJ Chark to go with TJ Hawkinson, Amon Ross St. Brown's emergence. They have a good offensive line. And here's the thing. You and I aren't going to agree that any quarterback in this draft is worth the number two pick. I I think that's a pretty safe assumption. But what we say all the time when it comes to the NFL draft is it only takes one team to fall in love. We've seen this happen before. We saw 
Dave Gettleman fall in love with Daniel Jones and make him the number seven pick in the draft. You're telling me that the Detroit Lions couldn't fall in love with Malik Willis from Liberty to come in and be their successor to Jared Goff at quarterback. And what I would love about that idea is there's no urgency to play him right away. You have Goff under contract. You're not moving on. The dead cap is out of control for you to do that. And to me, what you've created here is a Joe Flacco, Lamar Jackson situation where you got Jared Goff in place and you can incorporate some packages for Malik, just like Baltimore did with Lamar and give him a year of seasoning, continue to build this infrastructure around him and allow him to be your starting quarterback in 2023. If you love Malik Willis and you're the Detroit Lions, I don't think you mess around and not pick him at two. I know they have another pick at 32. They have pick 34. But are you? if you love Malik Willis, are you really going to expose him to teams like the Panthers or Seattle at nine or other quarterback needy teams that may want to move up the board? If you love him, you pick him at two. Is there any game? Do you think there's any games that they could play to manipulate a team to come up within the top six, top five, and just get a little something extra if that's the route they choose to take? Doesn't that seem so risky? Like, if you legitimately believe in a guy that he's your answer at franchise quarterback, I don't think you can afford to get cute with that. I mean, maybe if it's like, I don't even know. I, I mean, Houston's at three. I mean, it sounds like they're committed to Davis Mills, but if you love a quarterback, how could you even move back a little bit and risk missing out on your guy? That's where I get hung up on that idea. What about the Giants? You move back to five if you're Detroit? Yeah, if the Giants are trying to get up in front, if they want, want an offensive tackle or if they want a defensive end, whoever Jacksonville doesn't take, like if they're really taken with a guy, you could sit here and play the game and say, well, you know, you want either Equanu or Neal, whichever one's left on the board, or you want your choice of both of them. Houston, you know, they, they might be getting rid of Laramie Tunsil because they're in a transition. The Jets, uh, the, the Mackay Becton situation for them hasn't really developed. You know, they, they, they appear to be a little soured on him. Why don't you give yourself peace of mind? We still have leverage over top of Carolina. And then that way we know if Carolina comes knocking, we're going to be able to best any offer that Carolina gives because we're picking in front of them in the queue. Yeah. But like, so what if you do I, that? Let's, let's say you move back okay. to five and you're Detroit and all of a sudden Seattle, who suddenly has draft capital says, Oh, yeah. we want to get Malik Willis. Let's move up with Houston. If you love Malik, you just pick him at two. So to me, as I reflect so on free agency, I, I my appetite to believe Detroit is in the quarterback market at two, I, I think is is growing by day here. Let's talk about the Jets. Because the Jets just got done making a very, very strong investment in Lake and Tomlinson to step into their interior offensive line. And I remember how mad you were last April when they traded up the way they did for Elijah Vera Tucker. So they've invested heavily in both of these guard spots now. And there's a whole other conversation about paying Lake and Tomlinson $14 million and then presumably asking him to play right guard when he's played left guard. But I digress. That's, that's another story. 
you have Mekhi Becton as a former top 10 overall pick or top 12 overall pick. You have George Fant, who played well for you last year and presumably is going to be getting a look at one of your tackle spots. Do you feel like the Tomlinson addition changes your opinion of their likelihood of going with offensive linemen at that four spot versus whether it be a corner, which I know a lot of Jets fans are not super high on the idea of spending that high of a pick on a corner or a pass rusher. It absolutely takes the heat off of the offensive line, especially if Becton can come back and be what they drafted him to be. And obviously with George Fant, like you mentioned. So this does turn the attention to the defense, which was terrible in year one under Robert Saleh. And you now have an opportunity here at four to get an impact pass rusher, whether that's Aiden Hutchinson or Kayvon Thibodeau or Trayvon Walker or Jermaine Johnson. And then you can also look at the cornerback situation. I think Sauce Gardner would be a great fit for the New York Jets. I mean, you, you want to win in the AFC? You see the quarterbacks that are now in this conference? You got Josh Allen in your own division? You want to be serious about this? You better get some corners. What about Kyle Hamilton, right? They were in the market for Marcus Williams at safety. He goes to Baltimore. The safety market kind of dried up. And, you know, this is a team that whether it's been Jamal Adams leaving or Marcus May and what happened there, they they need that safety player. And you get a real difference well, maker in Kyle Hamilton. Let, let's talk about that idea specifically because it feels like the Jets fan base has a little bit of PTSD in regards to Adams and his investment and the way that he left and now Marcus Williams leaving and <laughs> positional value, such a buzz point here. But like, if you're not going to go offensive lineman and you have another pick coming up at 10, and I know there's some some support within the Jets fan base for that to be a wide receiver. I know Chris uh, certainly is, is entertaining that idea for himself. I'm Chris Schubert um, and I approve this message. Yeah, I figured as much. I figured you would. But if if you're now shifting the focus to what the trends are with Robert Sala and his defense, you think about San Francisco, what did they have on the back end in San Francisco? Jerkiski Tart. Super Jimmy versatile Moore. safeties. Yeah. Yeah. Like super versatile safeties, like a Kyle Hamilton. Now they also had a bunch of heavy hitters on the defensive front, which the Jets are getting there, but you could certainly make a case that is four too high for Trayvon Walker from Georgia. Not in this draft. I I don't think so either. So I don't, New York is a team that I think is we've become so accustomed in doing mock drafts for as often as we have to kind of having certain answers to that pick at four. And I think mm -hmm. it might be time to open our minds up a little bit because that Tomlinson move and the way that they paid him, a clearly tell you told you that they coveted that. But part of the solution, if you were going to take an offensive line lineman with the jets at four is, well, then somebody's going to have to kick inside, whether it's Mackay Becton or whoever we drafted four early on. And I don't know that so that Chris, is in play right now. Chris, why don't you represent Gang Green Nation here and, and speak sure. speak on behalf of the New York Jets fan base and consider what they need and what they've done and, and what you'd like to see happen with four and ten. 
Yeah, I think when you look at four, I think the idea of one of the two tackles is probably off the table unless they ultimately decide to trade Mekhi Becton. Um, and I don't think that's out of the realm of possibility that if they are truly disappointed with the way uh, Makai handled the injury and being off and then and then being overweight and remember he didn't show up to camp in great shape and so there is a lot of unknown with what kind of shape Makai Becton is in. Um, so yeah, I, I think after br- bringing in Lake and Tomlinson, I think that takes tackle or or any of the of the positions from the offensive line perspective at four off the table unless they trade Makai Becton and I think it makes it more than likely than with 35 or 38 they might draft somebody to compete with Fant for the right tackle spot uh, assuming Makai Becton is still there so yeah I mean listen I've said this to you guys on on the podcast before but I'll say it here I think corner at four and wide receiver at 10 is a very realistic possibility. Uh, I think taking Sauce Gardner at four fits what the Jets want to do. Uh, I think Let's go. I, I think he's exactly what Robert Sala wants from his corners on a de- on the, de- the defensive scheme. I love Sauce Gardner. He's my favorite corner in this class. It helps that my team needs a corner. But then I think they would be a perfect spot for, and I want to run this by you guys, we talk so much about Jamison Williams and the fact that he won't be able to play right away in year one. Well, what better place to go than a team that doesn't have any expectations to really be very good in 2022? The Jets don't need to go out there and win 10-11 games and make the playoffs. They just need to be competitive. They need to show growth from last season. Well, what better way to show growth than to have Zach Wilson, who you've already added C.J. Ozoma, you've shored up the offensive line, you've gotten better defensively with now what you've done at pick number four in this scenario with Sauce Gardner, now you get Jamison Williams for the second half of the season to be able to infuse into this offense. Man, that would be really appealing to me, and I'm not trying to lock myself into one specific formula, but that to me has been something that's been rattling around in my brain that I think would be a very a desirable outcome for the Jets. Yeah, so if if that's um if that's a mentality that the organization is willing to take from a big picture perspective, I can't think of a better fit at 10 than Jamison Williams. So Joe, as we kind of take a step back and look at look at everything that that we've kind of been processing as this rapidly evolving free agent market uh continues to reshape the landscape of both the league and the NFL draft um what what do you think is the most prominent thought that you have from that 30,000 foot view well what i want to go to is Kind of tie a ribbon on the conversation that we just had about the New York Jets and pick four and pick 10. And I don't know that the Jets will add a, a big time pass rusher in free agency. But if I'm a New York Jets fan and I don't participate in this defensive end class and come away with an Aiden Hutchinson or a Kayvon Thibodeau or a Jermaine Johnson or a Trayvon Walker with one of those picks... I'm going to be disappointed. And so I I love the idea of corners and safeties and receivers, but I think the Jets would be mistaken if they don't come away with one of these blue chip edge rushers. Yeah. And if, if I were to take that 30,000 foot view, I would look at team building in its entirety. And, you know, we over at the draft network, we like to talk about life cycles for teams, right? We, and every team is in a different chapter of their own individual evolution to trying to find themselves to be competitive. And some of those teams kind of spiral that perpetual drain and never get out of that toxic cycle. And some of them seemingly stay in an extended competitive cycle for a longer than, than usual period of time. But 
building a roster requires so much more than just the first week of free agency. So what I would say is if your team has not been super active or aggressive in this timeline, it's not time to hit the panic button yet because the NFL draft is seven rounds long and free agency is going to go from now all the way through until roster cuts when you get got to get down to 53 players at the end of the preseason. So this is a marathon and not a sprint, but we are seeing which teams felt like they had the most work to do with how they came out swinging here early on. Listen, we, we hope you guys enjoyed the conversation. We certainly enjoyed this touch point looking in on the 2022 free agency cycle and the 2022 NFL draft implications. Kyle Krabs, Joe Marino, Chris Schubert, the Draft Network. Guys, make it a good one. We look forward to talking to you again next time. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. 